Lohan. Three eighty five. Let's stand. on being all in in their life, and it really is the only way Christian life can be lived. You know, sometimes we like to think of Christianity as going into a cold swimming pool where, you know, you just put your toe in first, and you think, if I start with my toe in, then eventually I can get my whole foot in, and then both feet, and, you know, and we want to try and make it more palatable that you know it just a little bit deeper involvement you know kind of one inch at a time and and maybe a year from now I'll be all in I'll, then then I'll be in the only problem is christianity is more like jumping off the high dive you know you you, you got to go off the end and then the plunge and you don't find out really what it's like until you're already in it you can't just dip your toe in. You know, I love uh, going on trips in the outdoors. I connect with God uh, being in the outdoors, especially love being in the mountains. Uh, I've got a question for you. I know a lot of us are campers, but I'm, I'm not going to ask if you've camped. How many of you who have gone camping have ever come back early from a trip? You know, and I am going to venture a guess that weather had something to do with it. 
You see, there's certain trips that you're kind of forced into being all in, and then others where you go, oh, the weather's bad, we're going to come back. Well, last week I got a chance to go on a backpacking trip. Uh, Josh Quint, Ron Quint invited me, and we did this uh, loop called the Ray Lakes Loop up in uh, Kings Canyon in the Sierra. So 46 miles of backpacking in four days. And, uh, you know, you're, you're theoretically you're all in when they say, hey, we want you to join us. And you go, okay. But you're still not really all in at that point. Because even like when we arrived, I go, hey, where's the other guy? I thought there were eight of us. Oh, he decided last minute not to go. You know, sometimes we give that intellectual all in. I'm committed. And then it gets closer and you're like, nah, I'm scared. I quit. I'm not going. So you make it to the trailhead. You're still not all in at the trailhead. You got all your gear. You packed. You got the food, your bear canister, sleeping bag, everything. But you can still get in the car and go home. Well, on day two, we hit our all-in moment. Because at that point, you are as far away from the cars as you can be. And so whatever distance you go, the shortest way back is the way that you've already gone. And so, you know, you're kind of stuck at that point. Right then is when the thunderstorms hit. So we were up at about 10,500 feet. Uh, The temperature went down to the low 50s. Uh, We started getting hailed on. And, you know, one of the things with backpacking is you try not to take stuff that you don't need. And the ranger station, all the three different weather forecasts said very slight chance of afternoon shower one afternoon. So I was like, oh, that's that afternoon uh, mountain stuff. I'll just use a garbage sack. That'll be fine. I didn't bring my rain gear. You know, so you're up there, but you don't really have a choice because you're there. Like, you can't check into the local hotel. We went to the ranger station at the Ray Lakes, and, you know, it wasn't like there was anything to go. The ranger just said, you know, good luck finding a campsite because the good ones are pretty much taken right now because you're arriving at camp a little late. Uh, make sure you got a warm sleeping bag because it's going to get down about 30 degrees, so dry out and make sure you warm up. If you get hypothermic, you can come and let me know. You know, and so you have a moment in there where you're like, I would love to be in a warm bed right now. Hot chocolate. I mean, you start dreaming of all the different things you would like to have at that moment. And you don't. You're there. You're all in. And it's not your exact favorite environment. It's spectacular view. But the environment is just pretty horrible at that moment. And, you know, when you're all in with God, sometimes it works just that way. See, we saw the pictures. I Googled the Ray Lakes Loop to see where I was going to hike, and I was like, oh, yeah, I want some of that. And isn't it easy to do that with God? Oh, yeah. You see God from a distance, you go, I want some of that. I want some better life. I want some happier life. I want some purposeful living. The scenery looks pretty spectacular. I, th- I think I'm going to get me some God. I'm all in. But then you have those moments where it's really tested. I want to start over in Proverbs chapter 3. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And then I love verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You know, Solomon just kind of laid it out. And he says that, that you've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what? Any of us can trust God a little. The most uncommitted atheists can trust a little. So, you know, if we go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trusting. Really? Do you trust God with all your heart? It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. That means there's not an area of life that you're not fully surrendered and at peace with God. And you go, God, hey, my life's in your hands. I trust you. I trust that you have my best interest in mind. Whether good circumstances or bad circumstances, I trust you. And just in case we start getting other ideas, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You know, Christianity can boil down to some very simple terms. Not easy, but clear. Are you all in with God? You became a Christian maybe a year ago, five years ago. Ten years ago or longer. Just because you were all in when you said Jesus is Lord and you got baptized to get your sins forgiven does not mean that you are all in right now as you sit here this morning. And God has a way of working on us. God knows our heart. He knows when we're not all in and, and he, he will pick that fight. Because he, he wants to be fully trusted. And he will force the decision to trust in him or in our own worldly wisdom. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Does your lifestyle acknowledge God? Would a complete stranger watch how you live and go, I, I watch how you live. You must be a committed Christian. Because I can see evidence of it in how you live. In the summer, you know, it's hot. The windows are open. Neighbors hear conversations. Do the conversations with your kids, with your spouse, acknowledge your Christianity? Or do they go, you're just like everybody else? What about in the workplace? Are you just like everybody else? Or do your coworkers, and they may not know what it is, but they go, wow, there's something different. How you live your life is so different, there's something going on. You know, parents, your kids look to see what your life acknowledges. And it will have a huge impact on decisions they make in their spiritual life. It says, all your ways... Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Understand, straight path means a clear path, not an easy, um, suffering-free path. Just to make sure. 
You know, there's a there's an all in moment where we must make a decision to do what's right. And I think back to one of the first ones here in Mark chapter one, where Jesus called his first disciples. Mark chapter one. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You know, Jesus gave them a clear calling. They didn't wake up with the magical feeling, you know, a warm feeling. No, it was a decision. It was a call. There was a line drawn in the sand where Jesus said, come follow me. Nobody just happens into the living the Christian life. It is only done purposely by a decision that each one has to make as an individual. You say, what did Jesus have them leave? Two things, nets and people. Now, he didn't leave people in the sense of that they weren't spending time with people anymore. He left the control of people other than him. And they left their security. They left their nets. They left their livelihood. They left what they did. And they redefined their entire life. Say, what defines you as a person? Is it relationships? Is it your job? Is it your academics? Your clothing? Your car? Your house? What defines you? What do your neighbors think defines you? Because that's what really defines you. People know what we stand for. And God said, you've got to come follow me. But you've got to leave the security and let me define your life. For the Christian, Christianity, the gospel, Jesus is Lord That's what gives our life meaning. Everything else is secondary at best. So we cannot be all in if Jesus does not sit at number one of our life. He can't be in there somewhere. He's got to be number one. Say, well, Ron, are you, are you telling me I need to quit my job? Maybe. Should you? Is it one you shouldn't have? The schedule keeping you from living the Christian life? Maybe you're making too much money. Say, what? 
greed destroys a lot of people's faith. That's why Jesus preached so much about it. Jesus said, come, follow me. He also said, you know, you got to come follow me. You got to leave the control of other people. We need to keep loving all the people around us. But Jesus needs to be the only one that controls you. Is that true? Yeah, that's a tough one. Because we want people to like us. We want people to love us. We want people to be proud of us. We want people to go, that decision's an awesome one. And so when we get in a situation where Jesus says, come follow me, and anybody that we care about says, I don't like this. Now you have a choice to make. And I want you to imagine James and John leaving their dad in the boat with the hired men. Hey, see ya. You know what Satan will do? He'll go, you know, the the preacher, he doesn't understand your situation. He doesn't understand how hard you have it in all these unique circumstances. And if he did, then that's not what he would mean for you. Listen, Jesus just looked at James and John and said, follow me. It was just that simple. And I ask you this morning, who has the most control emotionally in your life? God or somebody else? And fill in the blank. If there's bitterness in your heart, if there's somebody that you haven't forgiven... God isn't number one because you're letting that person have way more control than God does in your life. You say, well, what are you talking about? Saying forgiveness is is letting go of the offense. That doesn't mean you have to be best friends for the rest of your life. But our society is plagued by by bitterness and hurts and anger and and resentment because people won't give God emotional control of their life. And they are tortured internally by a person that's hurt them emotionally so much by letting them sit on the throne of their life. you got to say no and let God run the show. I uh, started studying out the book of Isaiah. came across a verse read before, but it never hit me in the same way. Go over to Isaiah 7. And uh, you have God's people. And in Jerusalem and Judah, uh, bad guys have banded together. And here's what the bad guys say, starting in verse 6. Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves. And make the son of Tobiel king over it. You know, if you were living in Jerusalem, if you are God's people, 
and you heard the enemy saying this about you, you wouldn't be too fired up about your day. You know, look what verse 7 says. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. And then he goes on. He's like, yeah, man, these guys are nobodies. In the end of verse 9, he says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. How about that verse? You know, they got the enemies. They want to they tear you apart. We're not talking about just, you know, voting democracy has changed. We're talking about lives are lost, wives are taken. I mean, it's horrible what they face. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. And God says, if you don't win the battle at your faith, you will not stand at all. The most important place we got to win the battle is with God. Because to use our mental, emotional, physical energy to try and win the battles that our life faces without winning with God first is a waste of time. Don't do it. You're just wasting your effort. Put it all into your relationship with God first. You say, why is it so hard to walk with God every single day? Because it's not natural to trust in Him with all of our heart. We wake up and we think of all the things we got to get done, and we go, yeah, yeah, I want to have a good time with God, but, you know, let me check this email, let me do this, let me do that, because if I can set myself up, then I'm going to have a great day. And then you have a lousy time with God, you know, you bite your kids' heads off, you kick the dog, and you're like, man, I'm having a lousy day. What happened? You know what some of us do? You know what my problem is? I didn't get up early enough. I need to work harder. They're not saying, oh, I need to get up earlier so I can have longer time with God and make sure it's first. They're saying, I need to get up earlier so I could have fired up, you know, fired off more emails and I could have set myself up better and I could have done that and then I wouldn't have been such a grump the rest of the day. No, you would have been probably twice as much of a grump because you would have been more tired and less connected to God. Any of us in that trap? Hey, do you ever just feel stupid? I do. After you've tried like ten ways to fix something, then you go, well, none of that worked. I guess I could pray. Yeah, I'm a minister, and I think that way sometimes. I tried this and that and that and, you know, Google the topic and what good books are out there. You know, Amazon bestseller list. There's got to be something that's going to help me. And what about this? And I'll read another book and talk to somebody else. Well, none of that worked. Might as well pray about it. Because it's just not natural to put God in the number one place. It's not. That's why we, we have to fight so hard each and every day. 
When you're all in, there's no back door. You don't, you don't leave vacation early because it may rain when you're all in. See, when you're all in with God, you're just like, hey, come what may. God, you and me, we're going to get through this together. Let's be all in with God. If you're making a decision right now, if you've been studying the Bible, there's one thing. And you're probably thinking about it right now. That's hardest for you to surrender, to become a Christian. That's your battle. You go, no, actually, there's ten things. No, there's one hardest thing. And just, just think about the one thing. There is no way to become a Christian without having a one thing. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Like, if you have nothing to give up, then what's it mean that Jesus is Lord? Like, I'm giving you everything I have, but I have nothing. There's none of us that think that way, even if we're, we're a college student and poor. We have stuff. Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to be all in. Let's make that decision and go after it. See, all in with God, we also need to be all in with each other. You know, we're not going to make it alone. We're, we're not designed to make it alone. The whole reason God designed the church is so that we could be connected with like-minded people because in and of ourselves, we're going to fall on our face and we need people to help us. You know, we had just finished day one of our hike. We were about 13 miles from where we started and uh, eating dinner, and it tasted pretty good. And all of a sudden, this guy came staggering up to me. Didn't know him. I'm like, are you okay? And he goes, no. And I go, what's wrong? And he goes, well, I had the flu all last week. I probably shouldn't have gone on the hike. But he goes, I got 13 miles to get back to Road's End, and all I've done all day long is throw up. I can't even get any water in my system. He goes, I'm out of food. All I got is a little water. He said, can you help? And he said, I'll just take some chicken broth. And I go, well, don't have any chicken broth. But I said, I've got Cytomax. That's like high-tech Gatorade. And I said, I'll, gi- I'll give you my Cytomax. Then he goes, really? He goes, don't, don't give me all of it. And I just looked at him and I said, you need it more than I do. And, um, you know, we got, we got it all mixed up for him. And, you know, he rested and drank. And we were going opposite directions. So, uh, you know, he was going to hydrate up. And he got, we got him linked in with another group to go down. You know, I don't know what happened to him. But we did our best to help him at that moment. And I remember, uh, you know, one of the uh, young hikers, younger, mid-20s, um, said, you gave the guy all your electrolytes? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I'll be fine. I don't know if he will. But I said, I'd rather give it to him and give him the chance to get down. I said, I remember a hike to the summit of Mount Whitney. And I remember coming down, 
And when we got to the place that we were supposed to refill our water, one of the guys who had turned around because of altitude sickness had borrowed my water pump at the last water station. And so I had no ability to, to filter water. And I remember begging people who were hiking up for water and Gatorade for the final, uh, I think it was about, you know, 10 miles of that hike. And I said, I remember what it was like. I survived completely off of other people's Gatorade and water. And I said, hey, this is my chance to help this guy out. You know, life is kind of that way. Sometimes you're the one in need of Gatorade, and sometimes you're the one that's got extra. And I'm quite confident that you're going to have both opportunities in in the future. Sometimes you need to be a receiver, and sometimes you can be a giver. And you're just going to be on an endless cycle of that in the Christian life. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about the relationships in the body of Christ. We'll start up in verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You know, Paul talks about living as a holy sacrifice that, you know, your whole life is just characterized by one big sacrifice. And he says, how are we going to do this? We've got to think differently about it. The world isn't going to teach us to do that. The world's going to teach us the exact opposite. Look out for number one. You've got to take care of yourself. If you give of what you have, then somebody's going to take advantage of it, and they may get higher up than you. So you better not help anyone. You know what God's word says? Be humble. You know, whatever we have is by the grace of God. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know what that means? Don't get arrogant if people need you. Because a week from now, you may be the needy person. A lot of wealthy people have been humbled over the last five years. Rough economy.
You know, sometimes our relationship's going great. People need our encouragement. We think, oh gosh, it's draining. You know what? Next week it could be your marriage. And don't you appreciate when people are there for you? Are you all in with each other? You know, I, I love things like hiking. I, I like to uh, road bike because there's kind of this, like, you help each other code of ethics. And it's really not that way in too many areas of life outside of Christianity. I mean, if you get a flat tire on a road bike out there on a Saturday morning, you'll probably have 10 people stop and go, hey, you got air? You need a tube? Do you need help? You know how to change a tire? Can I help? Like, do you find that in the workplace? Man, I'm having a rough day. Do like 10 coworkers surround you and go, hey, what do you need? Do you need help? Do you need encouragement? Let me take you out to lunch. What about this? What about that? That doesn't happen. Christianity is unique. Why? Because it says... We don't live on our own. It says each member belongs to all the others. You see, I got, you know what that means? That I got my gifts and talents. You know what else I got? Yours. You know, just like people will come into my house sometimes and make a sandwich when I'm not home. I'm fine with that. The door's unlocked. Now we got a fierce guard dog. She might poop on you. But I I love it. Hey, that's great. Help yourself. That's the way it ought to be. That's what being neighborly is all about. Oh, you need help? Hey, I got a lot of that. That's why as a Christian, it is self-centered and arrogant and prideful If you take my gifts that I would like to use and don't let let me use them. You go, what what are you saying there? Exactly what the Bible says. Our gifts and talents belong to everybody. They're shared. So we don't get to live our own life. We don't have our own 24-hour day and 168-hour week. We don't have our own time and our own money and our own education and our own this and our own that. Because if you're all in, you pool your Christian resources to help as many as possible. Say, so how, how are your relationships? Go to Galatians chapter 6. Are your friendships all-in friendships? How many of them do you have? A lot of them? You know, all-in friendships, those are people that you help move. Not that you want them to move, but you help load the truck and unload the truck. That's an all-in friendship. Galatians chapter 6. You know, we read this passage a lot, 
but make sure we read the whole thing. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Uh, The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It says, therefore, therefore, meaning God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's talking about what we do relationally in the church. Not becoming weary. That at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. Building great friendships is hard work. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes energy. But it says God will not be mocked. You know, sometimes we look around and we go, wow, so-and-so, they really have great friendships. And I don't. People treat me different. No. Those people put in the hard work. You see, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There's no such thing as just deep, meaningful friendships that just happened. We didn't even try. And we just have a deep, meaningful friendship. No, every deep, meaningful friendship you have, you've had good times and bad times. Good talks, difficult talks. You've agreed a lot and you've disagreed. It has been forged through the weeks, months, and years. You see, good friendships, they've done the hard work. It's a spiritual principle. That's why God will not be mocked. There's no secret to it. Now, the good news is that if you do the right things, this is at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. You go, well, when's the proper time? Well, God's the one that's going to have to answer that. But it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The church body of Christ should be a priority. It says, hey, we need to do good to all men, but especially disciples. They need to get our best, our most. All in with each other. One last area on this point, and then we're going to close out, is in the family life. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 talks a lot about different relationships, but I just want to focus on the family. we got a lot of family in Santa Clarita. But you know what? Great family doesn't just happen. It's forged. And verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're just going to briefly hit some dynamics here. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children, 
Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Family life, husband's wife, parents, kids. We all fit in there somewhere. You know, sometimes as family, we're just tempted to give up. Had enough. Tried my best. You ever find yourself going, hey, I tried my best. You know what that means? That's a defense mechanism. Because if I tell you I tried my best, then it's not possible, even theoretically, that you could have expected me to do anything different. Because it was my best. No, that's just pure defensiveness. Moms, dads, giving up on your kids, kids, giving up on your parents. How's married life? Say, these are the God-given dynamics. Say, it does not just happen. We got to be all in. The people you love the most going to hurt your feelings the most. You know who hurts your feelings the least? Somebody you don't know. Because you don't really care how they think. The stronger the love, the stronger the pain. Say, are you all in with each other? You say, what's been tough? Re-engage. You know, don't be like Maverick and Top Gun. You know, the fight's over here, and he's like, negative, 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 negative. They're like, come on, engage. We need you. Negative, negative, negative. Had enough. No more pain. It's too hard. I can't do this. Re-engage. We need each other. The family life is the smallest existing church. God says, make your church family awesome. Re-engage. It is not natural. It's not what the world will teach. We've got to think differently. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Man, the world is horrible on relationships. Just read Facebook. People will publicly blast people who are listed in the friend category. Say, what kind of friend is that? Oh, they do it anonymously, but everybody on the friend list knows who they're talking about. Divorce rate is an all-time high. Relationships are broken all over the place. Because people reach a point where they say, I'm not all in anymore. You know what? You can actually function in a household without being emotionally all in. We got to give all. All in is the way life's meant to be lived in God's church. God, we need to be all in with God. We need to be all in with each other in our church life and in our family life. You know, maybe maybe you limped in here this morning. You're like the hiker we ran into. I, I need something. Because I don't know if I'm going to make it.
campus and be a friend of that person. Or maybe you maybe you got lots of resources right now, but you know somebody who needs help. Get time with them. Get the calendar book open and set it. And do not say, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk this week and we'll set it up. No, set it up before you leave. Because there's times where we're going to be able uh, to give. There's times where we need to receive. Let's be all in with each other. And God calls us higher. And he knows how life is best meant to be lived. We trust in him with all of our heart. and We fight that battle for faith. Because if, if we don't stand with our faith, we will not stand at all. You know what belongs to us? All of us. It's the gifts and strengths and talents that God has given the church. We don't live to ourselves. Each member belongs to all the others. Let's use what God has given. Let's be all in with each other as we live our life. Amen. Let's stand.